and a very happy Mother's Day to everybody, uh, especially to all of our moms, uh, grandmoms, godmoms, and every, all expecting moms. Um, very, uh, very excited to be able to be with you this morning. Um, about, about eight years ago, um, I did something that I never thought in a million years that I would do. Um, I, was, uh, I, I was in seminary at the time, uh, and we were studying a few different things. And we talked about John Paul II had a, a letter to artists at one point. And he was saying, he was encouraging artists to say, what you need to do when you, when you develop art, whatever it might be, you need to show the whole of the human person, the goods of the human person. And I remember my teacher was showing a bunch of beautiful images of art, right? She had all these different, like, Italian and, and Russian artists, and it was just a b- lot of beautiful pieces of art playing music and all these different things. And she said, what are some of the, like, why do we, what, what do we see in America, like, that shows the fullness of the human person? And at the time, um, this, the number one song in the United States was Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Um, so I remember I raised my hand and I said, Dr. So-and-so, it's, it's really easy when you're in, in Europe and you're surrounded by all these beautiful churches and all these beautiful pieces of art that you just walk down the street and, wow, you bump into the most beautiful church you've ever seen in your life. I said, but in our culture, you look around. I mean, the number one song, the video, is just an, a woman naked swinging on a wrecking ball. Like, I, 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 it, it's kind of a contrast to, to what we really would expect and what we want to see our art speak. And my classmates laughed and they thought it was stupid. And I was like, hey, yeah, but it's true. Like, that, that's what we were seeing. And she said, well, there is a piece of art. There's a type of art that is, is particularly an American phenomenon. She said, there's a type of art that's a particular American phenomenon. And if, if you don't know it, you might miss it. And she said, it's, it's theater. Like plays, musicals. I was like, really? She said... Yeah, and at the time, at the Sanger, at that t- same time, was uh, Phantom of the Opera was playing. So I remember my mom used to listen to the Andrew Lloyd Webber soundtrack and all this stuff, so I used to like roll my eyes and just, oh, I've got to listen to this again while we were in the car back in the day. So I, I, I bit the bullet, and a few of us, we went see Phantom of the Opera. And after one time going to the Sanger and sitting up in the nosebleed section, I fell in love with the theater. Now people would look at me and they'd be like, Father, you? And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. I, if me, like my 12-year-old self that played baseball, I'd have been like, yeah, on, a, on an afternoon, I'm going to see a musical. I would have beat my own butt, right? Like, I would have, like, it was like. But over the years, I've, like, I've, I've come to enjoy it. My mom and my sister, for years and years and years, had pass, season passes, and, and they would go do all this stuff. Um, funny story, because it's Mother's Day, I got to make, I got to embarrass my mom one time. Um, at least, I uh, went one, one year, we went see, um, they got tickets to go see Beauty and the Beast. Um, and we happened to be in the second row of Beauty and the Beast at the Sanger. Really, really fun. A beautiful, beautiful, like, the, the, everything about it was just awesome. It was great. Um, there are two rules in a Disney, in anything Disney. Number one, the princess needs to be able to sing, right? Number two, the prince got to be handsome, right? They broke one of these cardinal rules. So what happens, we go through the whole play at the end. If you didn't see it, if you don't know the story of Beauty and the Beast, too bad. This is like an old story, right? Tale of the oldest time. Anyway, um, gotcha. Um, at the end, they, they have the spot where the, the beast is going to transform back into, uh, into the prince. And they, they do their whole like special effects, and they do everything. The stage goes dark. The guy had pulled his makeup off. And then all of a sudden, a spotlight hits him. And when the spotlight hits him, dude is ugly. <laughs> 
it, you heard a gasp in the audience. It was just a, like, it was bad. It was bad. Dude is ugly. And when it hit, boom, you hear, and you hear my mom in the second row go, oh, my God. My sister and I are sitting on either side of her, and we're both going, shut up. Be quiet, right? And she looks at us, and she, said, she looks at us, and she says, he's ugly. That loud, mind you. There's no way that guy did not hear my mom. So before the curtain call, we were out of there. Like, we, we ran. We got in our car. We were gone. And I got three text messages from friends that happened to be at that play. All of them said, the prince was ugly. So... Out of all the plays, though, that I've gone to see, out of all the spectacles and all these things that I've gone to see, the one that consistently has been my favorite, I saw it on Broadway, and I, it was the last one I saw whenever we came back, when it was in the Sanger last year, or a year or two ago, um, was The Lion King. The Lion King, if you have not seen it, it's absolutely beautiful. The way they do the animals, the, the music, the, everything about it is absolutely beautiful. But one of the things that, that, that I think really speaks to us um, really speaks to, to people that, that have watched this play or watched the movie or know the story, is it, 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 it hits a chord within us. The story of The Lion King really does, I think, it does a beautiful job of hitting a certain chord in us because what it does is it reveals to us that we are not isolated beings. We are not just an isolated individual not connected to anyone or anything else. We can't survive as an isolated being. Our culture has found a way to kind of wedge us, like to drive a wedge in between me and everyone else, right? Like just think about, just think about I, I know it's almost a cliche at this point, but everyone on a screen, individual, isolated, atomistic beings that just kind of run in and bump into each other from time to time. But for the most part, we kind of exist in our own world. What we see is, is that in, in The Lion King, right, is that there's something about, like, that, that, there's something about that story that breaks that mentality, that we're not only connected to those around us, right, the whole circle of life thing, but there's also, we're connected with those who came before us. Because if we recognize one thing, like as that story goes on, right, we know the story. Simba is, is just wants to be king, wants to be king, wants to be king. Whenever his father actually passes away from, from a tragedy, he runs. Because he felt responsible for it. And he tries to give up all of his, he tries to give up all of his power. He tries to give up all of his care. He tries to just pretend that everything is okay, push everything aside. But he knows he's living a life that's a shell of itself. Until he comes back, he faces his demons, he faces his uncle, and he claims what's actually his. It speaks to something, I think, in all of us, that there's a coming of age. The, the interesting thing is, is that from a Christian lens, this is what Jesus is talking about in our Gospel today. Like Jesus is saying to us very, very explicitly and very, very truly, He's saying that you are going to be my follower. He's talking to His disciples. He's talking to His apostles. He's at the end of His life. And He's promising them, He's saying, I'm going to remain with you always. Like, don't, don't, don't lose me. 
in a couple of, in a couple of chapters whenever I die on the cross. I'm going to remain with you always. God, my, my Father, will make sure to remain with you always. I'm going to send you an advocate. And He's going to live within you. We know the Holy Spirit. In two weeks' time, we celebrate Pentecost. Which is what? The sending of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit that is, that is given to each one of us. Divine life living within us. God Himself living within you by virtue of your baptism and confirmation, which we hear about in the first reading, right? We hear that the deacon is going out, and what does he do? He baptizes. And then he calls Peter and John to come and lay hands to confirm. By virtue of your baptism and confirmation, which goes all the way back to apostolic times, Jesus is saying, I live within you. My divine life is present within you. You ever think about that? (laughs) That God Himself, the Trinity, is within you right now. The Trinity, God's divine life, the same divine life that created everything. The same divine life that sent out the Son in the Incarnation. The same divine life that saved us from sin. That saved us from hell. That same divine life right now is within you. But we can be like Simba and balk at the idea of it. So often we can can think, I don't deserve it. So often we can think that, that that's a big thing. I don't know about that. That's a nuclear option. Like, whoa, whoa. It might be there, but let, let, let's keep it dormant. Let's not use it. I think sometimes because whenever, if, that, if we embrace the divine life that's living within us, if we, if we exercise it, if we allow God to actually take control and to work within us, it might change something. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with change just yet. So we... Hakuna Matata with a fat guy and a skinny guy, right? <laughs> when God, when God, when Jesus is, is saying this to us, when He's bestowing this gift upon us, He's saying, I want you to let your life be controlled by me. Like, I want you to give me complete control and permission to work in and through you. So despite what, what, what the struggles, despite the hurt, despite the grief, despite the places that, that, that we might be, be, be um, hesitant, the Lord just wants permission to work. Not only for us, but through us as well. That, that's what He asked for the, from the Apostles. Very, very simply, he just asked the apostles, I just want permission to work in and through you. Thomas, I just want permission to work in you, to, to like relieve your doubt, and then through you to send you out. 
John, I, 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 want, I want permission to work in you, in your innocence, and then to send you out. Peter, I want, I want permission to work in you, like to strengthen your faith, and to shut you up sometimes, right? <laughs> but then to send you out. God's asking the same thing from us. He wants permission just to work in and through us. That's why we come to Mass. That's why we're here this morning. Not because Mom invited us, right? But that's why we're here this morning. Because what are we inviting the Lord into? We're, we're inviting the Lord by our very act of being here, by, by coming to receive His communion. Like, God, I, I need you to work in me. Because something in me is not perfect. Something in me is lacking. Something in me is struggling. So I need you to work in me. And God, I give you permission that when I leave here, that I can let you work through me. I, I don't know where God wants to work in you today. I, I know that he does. <laughs> I know that he wants to work in you. I don't know where. So today, as we come to this Mass, as, as we come to receive communion, as we come to be, to be sent and commissioned to go out, let's not run from the divine life that lives within us. But let's let God work in us first and then through us as we go.